0: Today is a reading from the New Living Translation, James 3, verses 13 through 18. If you are wise in understanding of God's ways, prove it by living an honorable life, doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom. But if you are bitterly jealous and there's selfish ambition in your heart, don't cover up the truth with boasting and lying. For jealousy and selfishness are not God's kind of wisdom. Such things are earthly, unspiritual, and demonic. For wherever there is jealousy and selfish ambition, there you will find disorder and evil of every kind. But the wisdom from above is first of all pure. It is also peace-loving, gentle at all times, and willing to yield to others. It is full of mercy and the fruit of good deeds. It shows no favoritism, and it is always sincere. And those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. The word of the Lord.
1: Thank you, Curtis. Good morning, everyone. So glad we can be together today to worship, to study the Word of God, and uh, to meet with one another. We were traveling uh, by bus from uh, Tel Aviv through all the checkpoints in the Gaza Strip, across the border into Egypt, and there were 35 of us from Edmonton. And we were enjoying the sights and sounds of the Holy Land. Not too long after crossing the border into Egypt, we could see in the distance to our left, Mount Horeb, or Mount Sinai as sometimes called. Uh, Although we didn't take the detour, uh, that would have taken another six, eight hours, which we didn't have. We crossed the Suez Canal and then continued to drive for hours in the desert towards Cairo. The desert, as you know, is nothing uh, but barren sand, and it is hot, very hot. We were thankful for a very nice air-conditioned bus. And in a, few, uh, in a few hours, we came to a place that was so unlike the rest of the desert. The driver put us on alert that we should be ready to get out of the bus and look around because we were going to see something spectacular, and we did. It was an oasis in the middle of the desert. It was the most unusual sight we might have ever expected to see after hundreds of miles of barren wilderness, only sand, mountains of sand. That's all we could see. And then this came into view, an oasis in the middle of the desert. It was a significant oasis, probably the size of a few football fields back to back. Water was blue-green, inviting, and the palm trees were luscious, and the luxuriant fruit trees surrounding the oasis was absolutely spectacular. There's a verse in the Bible that says, The desert will bloom. Isaiah 35 The desert and the parched land will be glad. The wilderness will rejoice and blossom. You see, we had just been to the Dead Sea and we'd witnessed the irrigation system that the Israelis were using, desalination from uh, the water from the Dead Sea. And they were using this water to irrigate the southern part of Israel, irrigating this barren land in Israel uh, in the south. And it was marvelous, amazing to see the desert bloom, growing vegetables and fruit trees, cherries, luscious. It's awesome. All that a desert needs to transform it is one precious commodity. It's called water, water. Water changes everything. Will the desert produce fruit? absolutely, if you can supply the water. The desert will bloom. Well, how, how does all of that relate to where we're at this morning in James chapter 3? Our lives are like the desert in their natural state. We are barren. We struggle to produce the fruit that God wants to produce. But what God brings to our lives is something that makes us bloom. And it's called water. It's the water of life. It's the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. John, uh, Jesus said in John 7, That anyone who is thirsty may come to me. That anyone who believes in me may come and drink. For the Scripture declares, Rivers of living water will flow from his heart. And when he said living water, he was speaking of the Spirit who would be given to everyone believing in him. So you see, the Holy Spirit comes... to our lives and resides within us and with his presence, he brings a newness to us that is refreshing, that is an oasis, that is a place where fruit can grow. And James wants us to see that all of this could be termed wisdom. That's wisdom. That's the oasis. That is the wisdom from above. So as rain or irrigation water can transform a desert, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives can be living water inside of us to water the garden that God has planted. What has God planted in our hearts as we've come to know Him in a personal way? Well, we spoke of this last Sunday as found in the 13th verse of James chapter 3. And it says, "...if you're wise... And understand God's ways prove it by living an honorable life doing good works with the humility that comes from wisdom what will the Holy Spirit do in our lives when we invite him to control our lives or as we sang this morning and I just noticed Adam putting that emphasis on be Lord of all be Lord of all what is his wisdom well number one good behavior the Holy Spirit plants a seed in our hearts called an honorable life, or more specifically, that our behavior is changed. The, the word seems to have an emphasis here on being willing to be changed so that there is a receptivity to the Holy Spirit so that we allow him to speak into our lives. And very often he says, Ken, that, this has to change in your life. You need to adjust your living. You need to change your attitude. You need to shift your allegiance. You need to modify your behavior in these areas so I'm better reflected in your life. So wisdom, the wisdom of God, means good behavior. Hey, Had you ever thought of that before? The wisdom of God means good behavior and the willingness to change. What an interesting definition of wisdom. The second word is gentleness. The Holy Spirit also plants a seed in our hearts called gentleness. Now, we were reminded last week that this is power under control. This is like a high-spirited horse that's brought under control. And it's now power under control, and it's called gentleness. And when our spirits are gentle then God can take that gentleness, he can put us in the harness of ministry, and we can pull strongly and effectively where he's called us to be. Because he's brought all that power under control, and it's called gentleness. So these are two marks of wisdom, wisdom from above, that tell us what real wisdom is like. It is changed behavior, and it is gentleness. When we don't have the wisdom from above, we succumb to the wisdom from below. And the wisdom from below also has a couple of marks that James wants us to be aware of. And they're found in verse 14. Number one, bitter jealousy. The wisdom from below is very raw, very human, doesn't sit well in a person's heart if somebody's getting ahead of them. It smacks of jealousy and it brings bitterness to our hearts. Because that's not the way God designed us to live and to be. So human wisdom is often filled with jealousy. The second characteristic is selfish ambition. The characteristic of wisdom from below is that it it manifests itself in selfish ambition. It's the desire to be political. It's the desire to move up the ladder and, and maneuver your way around so you get what you get, what you want what you want, and you're going you're to get it. To put self first and to say, what's in it for me? Jesus had to deal with that in Matthew 20 as he was facing the cross and he was heavy with uh, the weak that was in front of him. He told his disciples uh, that he was, uh, what he was facing, but somehow they didn't get it. They're thinking uh, about a powerful luxurious military kingdom that's in their minds and so here comes James and John and their mother with this ambitious presumptuous request and the mother makes the request but don't miss this point that James and John are right there with her they're all in this thing together and what does she want she wants the top two spots in the kingdom for her boys And Jesus just looks at them and says, you don't know, you have no idea what you're really asking. So he was thinking sacrifice and suffering and they were thinking prestige and popularity. He was thinking about the death in front of him that he was facing and they were thinking about the perks that could come their way. And it's called selfish ambition. And then James outlines for us what wisdom from below looks like. Here are the qualities of a wisdom that is not from above. And you see it so prevalent in our world today. Wisdom from below is not very pleasant to describe. But here's James and he tackles it head on. First of all, he says it smacks with boasting or arrogance. Verse 14. There's an arrogance to say, Ha ha, I sure fooled them. I pulled that one over on them. I did a number on them, and I did it my way. Boasting of their selfish ambition. Frank Sinatra in his song said, I did it my way. Secondly, lying. It is changing the truth to suit your purposes. We had a wonderful prof in seminary. I liked him very much. But he fell into hard times, morally, relationally. And as a result, in order to justify his actions, he needed to change his theology. And before long, he was saying things that he would have never said before, very removed from biblical teaching and biblical truth. And he had to adjust the truth so he could accommodate his lifestyle. Thirdly, earthy. It's the logic of the world. It's the logic of the world. It makes sense to the culture. It's culturally logical. I can see from an earthly, from a cultural perspective, why you would come to that conclusion. It just seems logical. But it isn't God's heart. It is not God's heart. Fourthly, unspiritual. The source of this wisdom is our thoughts in our attitudes, not the Spirit's wisdom from above. And then demonic Sometimes the wisdom from this world uh, is so far off base that Satan himself could be speaking it or at least endorsing it. And so he just plants a bunch of lies into our hearts in the hopes that in our state we will fall for it. It's the wisdom of the enemy. So, what are the results of jealousy and selfish ambition? Verse 16 It says, Wherever There is jealousy and self-ambition. There you will find what? Disorder and evil of every kind. Those are the results of earthly wisdom. And look at what jealousy and self-ambition does to our lives. Look at what it does to our families. Look at what it does to our governments. Look at what it does to our churches. It fragments them it tears them up. And you find disorder and evil of every kind and you can smell it a mile away. When an organization is governed by jealousy and selfish ambition, there is a strange, unpleasant odor that permeates everyone and everything and just everyone just intuitively knows something is off here, something is off. James just simply says there is disorder. Things are upside down. So now let's shift gears. And now we have the qualities of the wisdom that is from above. Here's where we want to focus this morning. What does the wisdom from above look like? When those seeds mature, right? Those, Those seeds back in verse 14, the seeds of good behavior and the seeds of gentleness, look what they blossom into. Look at the oasis that forms around them. Look what God does when you invite the Holy Spirit to reign and rule and take the the steering wheel of your life. He helps you with your behavior, and he gives you a heart of gentleness. And what does that fruit look like? After your heart's been watered by the Holy Spirit, refreshed by the Holy Spirit, it's what James calls the wisdom from above. And I think this is the best understanding of wisdom in all of literature. There isn't anything better. This is biblical truth, and it may not be how we would have defined it, but it's amazing what James has to say. So let's look at it. Seven qualities. First one is pure. The refreshing wisdom of the Holy Spirit is characterized as pure. What an interesting description. The refreshing wisdom of the Holy Spirit is pure. Now, no doubt, James uses this word very carefully, and he assigns it to number one position. Heavenly wisdom produces purity. When the Spirit of God fills us and refreshes us, he brings a purity to our lives. It is a freedom from defilement. It means without pollution. It means purity in living, cleansing of all the stuff in our lives that weigh us down and uh, and derail us. It also means purity in motive, so that even our desires are, are pure. Our bottom line is never to put one over on somebody else, never to put them down, never to take advantage. Even our motives are pure. Purity of thought, purity of action. That's the mark of a wise person. And it's the fruit of good behavior that we talked about in verse 14. When the Holy Spirit waters the desert of our lives, then he refreshes us and he brings to our lives a purity. Now, purity is a big word these days. It's not uncommon to hear. uh, "Oh, she or he's a purist. A purist wants something to be true to its essence. Nothing polluting it. And sometimes it's said in a complimentary way and sometimes it's not. But we like the word purity. Pure air. Pure food. Natural food. Pure water. We like that. And pure doesn't mean perfect. Of course. Because none of us will ever be perfect. None of us are ever perfect. And there isn't a perfect church. This is not a perfect church. There was a man looking for a good church to join. He said he was the kind of looking for the perfect church to be part of. And his wife warned him, please, she said, if you ever do find that perfect church, don't join it. <laughs> You'll spoil it. You'll spoil it. You'll spoil it. You don't have to be perfect. It's just to know that when we sin, we have a place to go to be cleansed. Psalm 51, David felt so badly for his sin. You can read that chapter. He felt so badly for his sins. And one of the ironies of the Christian life is that when we feel as miserable as David did, well, actually, we're on the road to recovery. That's a beautiful thing. And so, friend, if you're beating yourself up for something you've said or maybe something you've done, some sin that you're truly sorry for, Then here again these words of assurance that if if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. That's the promise. That if you sin, that you have a way. And and you have a, a place to be restored and you can be healed. You can be renewed. And you don't have to live with that burden pressing your heart. You can receive his forgiveness. You can come back to the oasis. and So that cleansing brings purity. Remember the beatitude? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. The pure in heart can see God. Not literally. Can experience God. Because their hearts have been cleansed. Their hearts have been cleansed. Brother Lawrence, way back in the 17th century, apparently he was a big man. A large man. And he wasn't necessarily the academic, intellectual type of person. Uh, They assigned him to move furniture, but uh, he was clumsy and broke things. They assigned him to cooking. He wasn't very good at it. People didn't like his food. They assigned him to wash pots and pans. And he hated it, but he tried to find God even in this lowly task. So he learned to practice the presence of God. And he began to see God in the flowers just outside the kitchen window. He even learned to see God in the dirty pots and the dirty pans and began to experience God in his heart. See, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God regardless of all the stuff that's happening around that's negative. They see God. They see God in their experience. Pure. The wisdom that comes from God is, first of all, pure. That's the wisdom of God. That's the sense of God's cleansing and wholeness and well-being. And it's a a wonderful wisdom. But who would have ever thought that pure is the wisdom of God? Secondly, peace-loving. The wisdom that comes from above that really refreshes us has the quality of peace about it? Well, it's one of the fruit of the spirit, right? Galatians five twenty two: uh, love, joy, peace, patience. It's the fruit of the spirit, but it's also the wisdom of God. It's the fruit of the spirit, but it's also the wisdom of God, and that's what our world is looking for: peace, peace in our hearts. I mean, if you if you wanted to be an author today and 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 write a book, just Put the word peace in the title. People will buy it because we're looking, we're looking for peace. And James says that the quality that comes with the Holy Spirit that lives in you and the wisdom he displays in you is, is the peace that you have in your life. It's the peace that you have in your mind and in your heart when you have the wisdom of God. You have this beautiful quality of peace in your life. Isn't that awesome? You have peace in your life. The greatest gift I believe that God gives us when we have a decision to make, for example, is a deep, genuine peace. When we we sense we're on target with what God is wanting us to do, there comes to us this awesome thing called peace. And that's his wisdom. Combine that with what you hear God saying and how you see Him directing your life and it's just a beautiful gift, this gift of peace. It just gives. It just says, uh, I'm okay. I'm good. I feel this is right. It doesn't mean peace because we want to flee every stressful so- situation so we can avoid conflict. I mean, it's not peace by abdication A couple here not too long ago celebrated their 60th anniversary. They were asked the secret of their marital bliss. Well, he said, my wife and I made an agreement in year one of our marriage. When she was bothered about something, she was supposed to just tell me. Just be straight up, get it off your chest, get it off your mind, just tell me. And he said, if I was mad at her, then I agreed that I'd just take a long walk. And he said, I suppose you could attribute our happy marriage to the fact that I've largely led an outdoor life. (laughs) I don't think that's exactly what James would advise. But that Christ would give you a peace that the world can't give. So friends, if you come across people today who are very argumentative and would rather just stir up things rather than find peace, you know you're not talking to a person who is wise. That is not a wise person. A person with God's wisdom is filled with peace and in every way attempts to be a peacemaker. That's the wisdom. That's the wisdom of God. Thirdly, gentle I know we talked about gentle in verse 13, but actually this is a different Greek word and one commentator said, actually there is no word in English to adequately translate this word. But the meaning is simply a person has the right to proceed and take action, but they don't. I mean, they could legally make a case for what is in their power to do, but they forego their rights. So it has the idea of yielding or being being uh, very equitable. It describes a person who surrenders his or her rights for a higher ideal. uh, We live in a day when, when you have to be so careful today what you say, what you do because people are quick to say, I'll sue you. And this is a word that means you could sue them and you could take them to the cleaners and you actually could legally win the battle. But it's not your heart. It's not your heart to do that. It's not your heart to grind them into the ground. That's not your heart. That's God's wisdom. Fourthly, deference. The, the, the quality of God's wisdom in our hearts that is willing to yield to others. Willing to yield. Some have called it the word reasonable. Wisdom from above Makes us reasonable, able to talk, able to sort it out, lowering the defenses. Oh, if we could just do that in the midst of hot and heavy conflicts, so that we could, we could just gain so much ground. Be reasonable. What can I learn? Uh, The story is told of uh, Abraham Lincoln, and he made a decision one day, a very important decision, and his Secretary of State heard the decision that he'd made, and he disagreed with the president's decision. He said, the president is a fool. Well, when Lincoln heard that his secretary of state said uh, that he was a fool, he replied, well, if my secretary of state said I was a fool, then I must be, because he's nearly always right. So the two men met together, and the president quickly realized that indeed his decision was... A very serious mistake. And without hesitation, he withdrew his decision. What it did was, it spoke volumes about the president. He had a teachable, open spirit and was willing to yield because he was reasonable. He was always wanting to do the right thing. That's what wisdom looks like. Wow, could we ever make strides in our homes and places of work and ministries if we simply were reasonable reasonable that's wisdom from above fifthly is merciful God gives wisdom to his children to be merciful because that's who God is God is merciful that's what God is like he's merciful earthly wisdom would say I'll oh, throw the guy in jail throw, it, throw away the key uh, he deserves two years give him ten get him out of here Mercy says even though he's absolutely guilty, he's deserving of all of that punishment, Ah, uh, that there's compassion. Instead of heaping on the ridicule, there is reaching out to a person in their time of need and hurt and forsakenness and saying, how would you like to be in that place? Well, what can they do? They're at your mercy and everybody else is giving up on them. But you have God's wisdom to care. And that's where you shine. You, you reach out and you make a visit and you build a bridge and you come alongside when everybody is saying, stay away from that guy. That's mercy. And that's wisdom. And sixthly, no favoritism. True wisdom is impartial. There's always a consistency. There's no vacillating. James has already talked to us about favoritism in chapter 2. But here he says, it's the wisdom of God. You're showing the wisdom of God when you don't play favorites. Because God never plays favorites. There's no one more valuable to God than you, but you're not more valuable than the next person. Every nation, every tribe, every people, everyone's important to God. No favorites. All deeply valued and loved and loved. Revelation 5 describes the worship of the Lamb of God in the corridors of heaven. Oh, what a day. They sang a new song with these words. You're worthy to take the scroll and break its seals and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and every language and every people and every nation. The followers of Christ will be represented from the four corners of the earth in heaven one day. Won't it be great? I love our diversity. But wait, just wait. Wait until you see what heaven's going to be like. We're a family now. But what a family we'll be in heaven. And all will be loved and there are no favorites. Everyone the same. God's wisdom means that there's no favoritism in our lives. That's, that's wisdom. So w- w- when we're impartial, then we're exhibiting the wisdom of God. That's how he would define it. Seventhly, sincere. God's wisdom is sincere. And the word that James uses here is our word for hypocrite. It's a picture of a Greek theater where a single actor would play the part of two characters or three characters. They'd have a little mask in front, and they'd play one character. They'd go to the backstage, and they'd put on another mask and play that character and go back to the backstage and then put on another mask. And and, and so they were always changing roles. You never quite knew who they were because they were, they were changing the roles. That term was in the Greek, hypocrite. So the wisdom of God in our lives is simply we are who we say we are. No pretense. What you see is what you get. That's authenticity. That's being real. And that's the wisdom of God. Could we follow behind in the footsteps of this giant apostle Paul when he wrote, we can say with confidence and a clear conscience that we have lived with a God-given holiness and sincerity in all of our dealings we have depended on god's grace not our own human wisdom second corinthians chapter 1 verse 12 what does god's wisdom look like this wisdom that's from above it's always sincere there are never any pretenses it's just authentic and true and then he concludes, and those who are peacemakers will plant seeds of peace and reap a harvest of righteousness. You see, there will never be any relationships that are are, are are productive when the environment is hostile. But God does an amazing work when the environment is peaceful and full of God's wisdom. Then a church can prosper, a family can prosper, you can move ahead, and you can do great things for God. Well, when we came to the oasis in the desert, the bus driver opened the door and we all scooted out. And we were all excited to, just to look around. And this 360 degrees all around us was desert. And right here in front of us was water and palm trees. And uh, some of us threw off our shoes and rolled up our pant legs and we waded in. Some had a little swim, changed and had a swim, Some sat down at the picnic table, but we all knew that this was a refreshing place to be in this 40 degree sweltering heat. We were refreshed, climbed back aboard the bus and back into the desert. That This was a place that was different from the world around us. Friends, this world is a desert, greatly lacking in the wisdom that is from above, we don't call gentle wisdom in our environment. We call it weak. We don't call mercy wisdom. We call it undeserving. Get him out of here. What if we could be the oasis in a barren land? What if we could be the people of God who are refreshed and renewed And who are places of refreshing for others so the world awaits the wisdom of our governments how Canada will deal with China how Canada will deal with Saudi Arabia what will be the wisdom will it be wisdom from above will it be wisdom from below Britain Uh, is facing a crisis? How does a divided nation find its way with respect to leaving the common market? Where is the wisdom that is sustainable? Where is the wisdom that is pure and gentle and peaceful and merciful and sincere and shows deference? That's the wisdom that's needed in the world. and So much needed in our lives. The Holy Spirit comes to our lives and resides within us. And with his presence, he brings a newness. He brings a newness that is refreshing. He brings an oasis. He brings fruit that is produced that could only come from God. Oh, so come, Holy Spirit. Come and refresh us. Come us, come and bring us the wisdom from God. Amen? Would you pray that with me? Let's stand together. Would you pray that with me? Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, and refresh us. Bring us the wisdom from God. Refresh our hearts. Cleanse us. We desire purity as the foundational element of wisdom. Fill us with the wisdom of being peaceable. Give us your shalom. Help us to be agents for peace with our brothers and sisters. Make us gentle. Lord, where we've been rough around the edges, where we've been abrupt, make us gentle. May there be allowances for the weaknesses in other people. Make us reasonable in our dealings with difficult people. Open us to reason, Lord, when we're wronged. Help us to be impartial so we're fair with everyone. Make us sincere, honest, forthright, without masks, so others will see the wisdom of Christ in us. Lord, come, come to us. Come, Holy Spirit be the oasis in our lives and refresh us and renew us for the glory of God. In Jesus' name.